Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to, well, me, Sarah Nixon, public programmer here at the St. Catharines Museum. I'd like to start off today by saying that we are recording today's podcast at the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center, which we acknowledge is part of the traditional territory of the Neutrals, Haudenosaunee, and Anishinaabe peoples and their allies, and is adjacent to the Six Nations of the Grand River. If you've been following the St. Catharines Museum's blog or our social media pages, you might have learned that our popular special exhibit, Doing Our Bit, World War I from St. Catharines to the Western Front, is officially closing its doors at the end of the month. This exhibition, which commemorates the 100th anniversary of the First World War, has been on display in our galleries since 2014. It is the incredible product of community collaboration, with many family members of St. Catharines men and women who served in the war efforts, either in the fields or at the home front, contributing cherished objects and stories to the exhibit. On this episode of Museum Chat Live, we'd like to help close out our World War I exhibit by honoring the stories we share in doing our bit. I am sitting down with Kathleen Powell, the curator here at the St. Catharines Museum, to talk about the exhibit and to explore the ways in which meaning, memory, and history weave together into the stories presented in its displays. Kathy, after four years, doing our bit is officially closing its doors. How are you feeling about this? Well, I'm a little sad <laughs> because I love this exhibit. It's a great exhibit. It's uh, it's very uh, kind of heart-wrenching, but also kind of heartwarming at the same time. And mm-hmm. it's just a really great exhibit to, to walk through. And uh, um, it's a part of history that I'm totally into so that also makes it something that makes me sad to see you know it's it's you don't want to choose one exhibit over another when you're the curator (laughs) but I really do love this exhibit it's pretty cool and I uh, I'm gonna be sad to see it go Mm -hmm, for sure me too me too when I started it was there and I'm gonna miss walking through you know that room every day and checking out new stories I think every day I walked in I learned something new that's cool so yeah I'm gonna be sad to see it go too Uh, To help us close out the exhibit, I thought maybe we could go back to its beginning. Uh, So do you think you could shed light onto the purpose of doing our bit and how you approach its development? So the whole point of this exhibit was to tell the story of St. Catharines and the First World War. And so from the beginning, the thought was, how are we going to tell this story to make it different from every other museum's exhibit for the 100th anniversary of the First World War? It's important that we do an exhibit about the anniversary of the First World War and about the First World War itself, but we needed to make it something that wasn't just a generic thing and made it relevant to our community. And Mm -hmm. so from the start, the idea was always that we were going to try to tell the story of St. Catharines and St. Catharines people and how did the war impact St. Catharines in 
really personal way. Uh, and so, and how can we get community members involved mm-hmm. if we could and mm-hmm. see what's out there in the community? Because we knew that we didn't have a huge collection of World War One material. Mm-hmm. And so we definitely wanted to be able to pull in what was out there in the community and uh, have them feel an attachment to the exhibit and to the, the stories that we were telling. That's so cool. So how did you how did you reach out to the community then? So we put it in the paper. Oh, okay. Essentially, okay. and put it on our social media, wow. um, and uh, had some great response right away. And then otherwise, sometimes we got connections through people. So someone oh. would say, "Oh yeah, I know somebody," and can you get involved this way? And then anytime I went out anywhere, I put it out there to people. So if I was at the historical society meeting, for example, I would mention it. Or when the dos- when we were talking to docents, you know, if you know anybody, mm-hmm. let me know and that kind of thing and so eventually we got enough to to put into the exhibit I think there's a lot more stories out there that we haven't told because I hear about them on social media outside of that not on our social media but I see it out there um, people telling their family stories since Mm -hmm. the exhibit opened Mm -hmm. but um, I think we did a pretty good job of capturing some Mm -hmm. of our community I think it's really, really cool how you went directly out into the community to get their stories and, and to add that, that level to the exhibit. I think that's really cool. Could you maybe share what stories strike you the most in the exhibit? Oh, there's so many. Uh, but the, the putting it out there to the community, the day that the newspaper article came out, I had a phone call right away wow. from a lady named Betty Emperingham, who is uh, the daughter of Bert Hill. Oh, okay. If you've seen the exhibit, his story is in there as well, and it's a little bit of a, a focus of one of our sections of the exhibit. And um, she was right into helping us out with this exhibit right away, and she was so excited to be able to share what she had. And she called me up almost like she she didn't think she had anything of any value. And she says, I have like a 100 postcards that were written between my parents during the First World War. Are you interested? Of course I'm interested. (laughs) So uh, that was probably one of the most rewarding kind of relationships that came out of the the exhibit because I went and I spoke with her, went to her house a couple of times. She lent me the postcards, which I think is super generous, Mm -hmm. um, letting them go for the amount of time because we were able to scan them and... Uh, digitize them and uh, really have a look closely at all these postcards and so we looked at the postcards and then she also had um, this prosthetic hand so her father lost his forearm in the war and when he came back to Canada they made a prosthetic arm for him and there was a part of the arm that could it was kind of like interchangeable the hand part so depending on what task you were doing you might need a different kind of hand and she had uh, prosthetic, his prosthetic hand that was kind of like the dress hand, I guess. <laughs> like so, it was like if you were wearing gloves or oh, okay. something like that. Uh, and so she had this in her her china cabinet, which she thought was kind of amusing, and the family got a lot of a uh, kind of enjoyment out of this thing. But it also was a really tangible connection to uh, to her her father and his experience in the war. Mm-hmm. Even more, I think, than the postcards were. Even though, really? to me, the postcards with the handwriting and the stories and all of that, to me, are almost even more tangible. But I think that the two of those things together, and of course her memories of her father, was just such a great, re- uh, rewarding part of doing the the uh, the research and the the 
putting together of this exhibit. Absolutely. I feel like through this research and connecting with these family members, you must have really gotten invested in their, those stories. Yeah. What was that like? It was crazy. So I went to uh, the Canadian War Museum and uh, um, I was able to take a look at all the letters that were written by the 80 family that were at the War Museum in their collection, as well as Jack House's letters. Mm-hmm. And reading those, knowing that two, three of the brothers died mm-hmm. out of four, when I was reading those letters, it was just so emotional. I was almost in tears Right. Because essentially, it's not just letters from them home, because lots of times that's all that exists. Like mm-hmm. the letters that came from home to the soldiers in the trenches don't exist. Lots of them were destroyed, or they weren't. They were told not to keep any of those personal effects mm-hmm. on them. So it was really just the one side of the story. But in this case, it's also like letters from one brother to the other brother. Wow. So it's it's really this kind of like web of connections and it's mm. just sad and it was just so sad for one brother to be talking to his other brother about the third brother who had died and i was almost in tears from that yeah. but then at the same time you know you're on like emotional highs and lows and then on the other side of it in one of jack house's letters he's writing letters to jane 80 who is his fiance at the time right. and in one of the letters there's a flower that was pressed oh and that's in there in a little plastic baggy in the uh, archival documents and you know that he's like grabbed this flower off the fields there because he's thinking of her and he sent it to her and so it's like an emotion a little bit of an emotional roller coaster Uh, and his letters were super chatty and Mm -hmm. um, really uh, upbeat and fun kind of and it's he sounds like he's having a great time although he's obviously you know, a junior officer in the trenches. So he would have seen some pretty awful stuff. But he also takes it in stride. He writes a letter about being bit by a rat while he's in the trenches. (laughs) And it's kind of funny, actually, to read the letter, even though it must have been just terrible, terrible experience. Yeah. And by reading these letters, like you get you get to know these yeah. people almost intimately. Even going back to Bert Hill's letters. So if you're saying there's a hundred postcards between his future wife at the time, I guess. Well, when he first started writing, they were just engaged, and then before he went over, they got married. Oh, okay. Um, but and then while they're in the war, while he's in the war, he's they're in, they're married, and she wow. actually has uh, they have a baby while she while he's away. And so um, it's like the first, you know, your newlyweds, the first year of your marriage, and oh he's gosh. in France fighting a war. Oh, my um, gosh. And, yeah, and be, because I knew Betty and I was able to talk to her, that actually added a whole other <laughs> connection because I felt like I was part of her family, you know, like, like I was related to Bird Hill and his wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You would get to know their relationship so well by reading those letters, yeah. right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's really incredible. To go a little bit to your background research for the exhibit, I know it was informed a lot by academic literature on meaning and memory. Do you think you could share how this connects to the exhibit at all? Sure. I was really interested when I first started working on this exhibit about how we remember the war. Mm. Um, And it's really because, uh, really what it came down to is this book that I read as part of the research um, by Jonathan Vance, who's a professor of history at Western University uh, in London, called Death So Noble. And it's all really about how the memory of the First World War has been perpetuated over time. Mm. And 
but also how, you know, when we remember war in general, we, tr we don't remember the, the bad stuff about war most of the time. We remember right. the, uh, um, you know, we remember the poppies in the field or we remember, you know, that kind of thing. Not that, that people don't remember the bad stuff because, of course, we know how, most people know about Passchendaele being such a horrible place and most people know about the, the life in the trenches and mm -hmm. just the, the awful experiences of World War One soldiers and shell shock and PTSD and all of those things. Mm -hmm. But the way that memory has perpetuated war in general through cenotaphs and memorials over time has, I was really interested in that. And then I was also really interested in the fact that there's a ton of war memorials in St. Catharines to the First World War, mm -hmm. not just cenotaphs, but stained glass windows and plaques in churches and mm -hmm. plaques in businesses and people walk past them every day and they don't even notice yeah and i was interested in what were those memorials around the city mm -hmm. and because i would go like i wanted to take photos of all the stained glass windows in the city because i love stained glass windows and i was interested in how first world war was memorialized that way in churches and I'd call up a church and they weren't even sure if they had any first world war memorial windows so wow. um that would be something you'd see at least once a week. Yeah. <laughs> yet, and yeah. yet it wasn't really well known. So I was kind of interested in that part of yeah. like memory and, and the war itself. And so that's kind of how I got involved in my thinking of the war. And then I was also interested in what kind of stories should we tell? Right. And because I wasn't going to be telling the story of the war. It was really the story of St. Catherine's War, not mm -hmm. the war. Mm -hmm. Every battle, every... Uh, general every strategy all, all of that yeah, yeah exactly I wasn't telling that part of the war I mm. was but is was that going to be something that people were going to be upset about right and were people going to be saying like you didn't say this exhibit doesn't say anything about the war so I was really concerned about making sure that what we were telling was the right story I guess for right. us for us um, so that kind of informed Mm -hmm. my thoughts on memory and meaning when I was doing the exhibit and mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think about it a lot actually and you think about what stories you should tell and what stories you shouldn't tell mm -hmm. and I think if we were doing a an exhibit on the Second World War it would come out about you know what kinds of stories she'd be telling about atrocities in war and right. how they've impacted and those kinds of things and, or how much do you give real estate to someone like a not the Nazi party for example right. like that's kind of the best example I could give you from mm -hmm. like that particular war in the first world war I didn't have so many mm -hmm. issues about that but also we didn't focus on the really negative things no. that happened mm -hmm. um, which we could have mm -hmm. and it could have just gone mm -hmm. in that direction with right. the exhibit so I don't know it was really a struggle to figure out we only have so much space we can only tell so many things yeah what are those things that we decide to tell and will the people that see this exhibit who are related to those soldiers feel that we mm -hmm. told their story in a the right way mm -hmm. I imagine because you're telling these local stories connected to St. Catharines you know we have a certain responsibility to those stories right right by choosing not to focus on the overall broad general, this is the war, but to focus on St. Catharines. We now have a responsibility that I imagine probably sat quite heavy on you. Right. You don't want people to feel like you're, um, you're telling 
a negative story about their family members. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as historians, we have to remember that we have to tell the truth about, mm-hmm. as much as we know, the truth about history in general, right? Mm-hmm. So it's walking a fine line sometimes. We didn't really have too many experiences mm-hmm. where I had to worry that the, the line I was drawing was that I was hiding anyone's history. Right. But it could have come to that where... Right you know, someone's war experience maybe might not reflect well on them in mm-hmm. print. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. You know, maybe right. that person went AWOL for a length of time, or maybe they spent some time in, with venereal disease and had their pay cut or something like that. And so you don't want to whitewash that, but at the same time, you also want to make sure that you're um, telling the story in a way that is respectful of those people. Absolutely. And I, I think, though, by, by choosing to focus on these personal stories, at least for me, walking into the exhibit, it makes it more real. Um, you start to really think of, well, this could be my family member. This could have been me. Like, what would, have, what would I have done if I was in the First World War, if I was living at that time? It really makes it more um, intimate and personal and more familiar that way. Um, and I, I really do appreciate that, that focus. That's what I was hoping people would get from it, so yay. <laughs> awesome, good. <laughs> well, I think that especially things like uh, Jack Hardy, whose diary is in the exhibit, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a photo of him, and he's his diary and photos have been used as a focus for a lot of our programming around the exhibit because it's such an interesting story, and his for diary sure. is so great. For sure. um, but he joined up when he was 17. Yeah. And so I would hope that, you know, if a group of high school students were coming through and looking at our exhibit, they might be able to pick out of there, like, this could Mm -hmm. be me. Mm -hmm. I'm 17. I could be this same story that Jack Hardy is telling if I was living 100 years ago. And hopefully resonate a little more with them and make them want to read it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's super important. Uh, Lastly, how do museums balance memory and history? It's funny because people think memory is history, but Mm -hmm. it isn't necessarily. So if you think about what you remember from, say, high school or something like that, Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily like if we were to look at the history of your school at that particular time and look at all the statistics and stuff like that, that's not the same as what you actually remember from Mm -hmm. that. You could remember things totally different from what the statistics are telling you, right? And so I think for us, doing an exhibit where we're using people's words and people's memory memories change so if you take a look at jack hardy's diary for example Mm -hmm. it's small it's actually just like a little small pages with maybe 10 words on a page and then he took that diary after he was home and he fleshed it out essentially typed it and um, really told the stories more in depth so the finished diary is typed pages full full typed pages i'm sure you've seen it but Mm -hmm. full typed pages so did anything change from when he wrote down you know those five little words Mm -hmm. on that date in 1917 Mm -hmm. to 1919 when he got home the two years difference in time, mm-hmm. not being in the middle of a war zone, mm-hmm. back with your family, like, did any of that change? And I'm not suggesting that it did necessarily, but if you mm-hmm. think about your own memory and how you mm-hmm. change stories over time, mm-hmm. things things don't always translate exactly the same. Yeah. And so um, for us as, as museums, we have to kind of balance both things. So... Mm-hmm looking at what people say and what words they used and um, Mm -hmm. their own personal remembrances versus 
the reality of what's written in black and white in, in an official history, for example, of the First World War might right. not necessarily match with somebody's right. letter that they wrote home to their family because they didn't want to tell them about how right. awful it was right. versus what was uh, written by the the military after the war, which also is not necessarily <laughs> exactly, exactly. The, the word on the ground. Um, and so I came across a really interesting quote from a guy named uh, Jay Winter, who is a historian who writes about memory. Um, and he said that specifically in the context of war museums, that one fundamental conclusion that anyone who has ever worked in a war museum knows in his entrails <laughs> is that all war museums fail to represent, in quotations, the war because there was then and is now no consensus as to what constituted the war as it actually was. Whoa. So unless you were there... Mm -hmm. You can't really interpret it exactly perfect. Mm -hmm. And even mm -hmm. if you were there, you still might not be able to interpret it exactly perfect. So I think as museums, we try to do the the best and to pay homage to the stories and the people and uh, to our city's history of that story. Mm -hmm. But we can never be be exactly like what it was because we were not there. We, mm -hmm. we, we don't know. We, mm -hmm. We're just reading someone else's story about it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think when we were talking about it the other day, we talked about the trench, for example. So we chose to, to put a trench diorama in our exhibit. Um, but that's not like the real trenches. How right. could it be? We weren't there. We don't know. We mm -hmm. And this one's built out of uh, plaster and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and burlap and stuff like that. Whereas the real trenches were mud, and yeah. so there's mud falling down. There's garbage everywhere. The smell must have been amazing, awful, but amazing. Uh, you know, there were dead bodies buried in the field. There mm -hmm. were animals and insects and other people sleeping all around you. So the sounds, they're shelling. And mm -hmm. so even though we have the trench in there, and it kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of what it might be like to be in the war, you don't have the entire experience, mm -mm. but it still serves a purpose and to tell a story to maybe take someone a little bit outside of where they are and set themselves in that same place. Mm -hmm. um, if I could just add to the, the memory and history question, I think what I find so valuable about the sources that we have and that we've shared, like the letters and the diaries and the postcards, those pieces of writing so they're so powerful but they're also so like that's what they were feeling at that time and so even if it doesn't match up with the historical truth whatever that could be that was jack house's experience yeah. that was um and that was the experience that he wanted jane 80 to think of his experience as so there's still importance and meaning and layers to what he's saying. And so I think it's cool to tell those stories from those perspectives, um, because again, it, it's more personal that way. You get a, a little bit more of a sense of what was going through their heads at that time. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that uh, it's like that whole saying of your perception is your reality. And mm -hmm. at that time, that's exactly what it was. What they were perceiving was their reality of the time, whether that's what you know a general would write five years later when he was writing the history of the war mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily translate to what someone's reality on the ground at that time would mm -hmm. have been. And mm -hmm. so 
I think there's so many layers to it. And as historians, we're always caught in this. How do we peel through all these layers and decide which ones are the most important? Mm -hmm. And so then that also comes back to the huge responsibility that we have as museum people because we have to choose what Mm -hmm. we're going to do. And we have to choose what we think is going to be the most important story, the most relevant story, and the right story for the right time. And Mm -hmm. that is a huge responsibility for us. For sure. For sure. (laughs) There's another way we're honoring the Doing Our Bit exhibit as well. The St. Catharines Museum is commemorating the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War and officially closing out our World War I exhibit with the 1918 Victory Party Celebration. Absolutely. We'll be celebrating just as St. Catharines had in 1918, and it all happens this Friday, November 30th. Juliet Dunn's Victory Band will bring us live jazz music, Social Ease Dance Studio will offer swing dance demos and give us a special performance. We'll have Lock Street Brewing Company here pouring their craft beer as well as local wines. And we will have dessert stations selling all sorts of local treats and goodies reminiscent of the era. Most of all, and most fun maybe, (laughs) we are encouraging everyone to dress in 1918 inspired costume. Think Downton Abbey or Peaky Blinders. And of course, there will be prizes for the costume contest. Tickets are $10 each and can be purchased online. We'll post a link in the show notes or by calling the museum. We encourage you to purchase your tickets in advance. And this will be your last night to visit the World War I exhibit. So come on out and support your local museum. We'll see you this Friday, November 30th, starting at 8 p.m. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. This podcast was produced by Sarah Nixon and Kathleen Powell. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center and the City of St. Catharines.